So this is Exodus 3 from verse um, 1 to 15. Yeah. Um, now Moses was standing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring, and to bring them out uh, of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to Pharaoh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Amen. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And I just want to say, like, the people that stand at the front in church, in a sense, our role is to notice and point you towards what God is doing. And as someone that's kind of journeyed with this church over many years, uh, me and my wife used to attend here probably about 12 years ago, and then over the last year, been coming back a bit, I just want to say it feels like, it seems like, as we reflect on this passage and think about those amazing prayers that have just been prayed, that God is doing something in this community. So we're going to reflect on that a bit today. But before I do that, I just wanted to acknowledge um, Andy and Beth and really thank them. As someone that's a bit of an outsider to the community, um, I just wanted to say, like, I've always, always looked up to you guys, and um, I've known them a long time, not, not really well, but watching them from afar, they, they always have acted with, with humility and grace. They have so much talent, we all know that stuff, but it's humility and grace, I think, that you guys have modelled to me so well. So my prayers are with you as you go into your next season, and um, 
We all love you. Why don't we pray and then we'll get into it. Let's take a deep breath in and out. And in. Loving God, as you spoke to Moses in that burning bush, would you speak to us today? In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. So do you like my little bush that I bought today? Johnny was taking the mickey out of it and saying that it looked a bit dead, but I spoke to a gardening expert at the nine o'clock service and he said it looks all right. He said there's hope for my little bush. And um, one of the things that I've got into recently as I kind of slip and glide graciously into middle age is gardening. Now you can tell I'm middle age because I'm the only person up here that's wearing skinny jeans today, so I'm just holding on. <laughs> Hands up to the millennials holding on to the skinny jeans. None of you, great. <laughs> It's going to be a long morning. <laughs> but I'm loving the gardening. Like, I'm, I'm really getting into it. Um, the problem is, I'm not very good at it. In fact, I'm better at killing plants than um, bringing them to life. Here's a picture of some trees in my kitchen. Um, this is the window I look out when I pray in the morning and have my breakfast. And literally, it's like a horticultural graveyard in my house at the moment. If you've got any tips on what I can do with that, um, it was a lemon tree at some point. Um, that would be great. Well... Here's the thing. No, I, I overwatered it. I gave it too much. And then I got this plant food and gave it like half a, half a thing. And you're only supposed to put a few drops in. So anyway, I'll keep you posted on, on how it's going. And then this little bush here, there's a story, has like brothers and sisters. Basically, I went down to the garden center that's near my house. And um, I love a deal. Like, like my parents both working class. I've, I've still got that stuff in me and I love, I love a bargain and um, basically they had bushes that were alive that were quite expensive and then they had these cheap bushes which were kind of like last year's ones that were dying a bit and they cost £1.50. Good eh? Right yeah. <laughs> the problem is they don't grow very much so here's a picture of the hedge that I planted um, just there. Now just for context that green bit on the other side that's my neighbour's garden. <laughs> now we get on well with Margaret. We talk a lot, but she does not want me to be able to walk into her garden, as I did yesterday. So we're trying to um, plant something a bit bigger, but they just haven't grown, really. I don't know what's wrong with them, but hopefully that guy from the 9am will pop round and help me out. But the reason I like this bush, which has got some good bits on it, is that it's a humble bush. It's a normal bush. It's an ordinary bush. It's called a loris something or other, a laurel um, for short. Uh, in Latin, and it, it's just ordinary. You'd see them everywhere, and that's what we see in today's passage. God doesn't speak to Moses through one of those grand cedar trees that we hear about throughout the Old Testament. He speaks for a very normal and very ordinary bush. One of the most profound moments of Moses' life, of his ministry, of hearing from God, takes place in this humble bush. And when you look at Moses' life, you could divide it into three sections of 40. He lived to about 120. And it's really interesting that his life divides up quite neatly into three sections. The first 40 years as a prince in Pharaoh's passage. The second 40 years where we pick up today's story as a shepherd walking around in kind of insignificance. And then in the third third of his life, we know the story, don't we? Leading God's people in the wilderness to the very point of the promised land. 
In that 40 years, in that middle bit that we've heard about today, God is preparing Moses for what's to come. Are you tracking me, Soul Survivor? Do you think that God might be preparing you as a church? Do you think God might be preparing Andy and Beth and others as we think about what might be in the next season? And we know, don't we, that the fruit of Moses' life came in that last 40 years. Don't worry, Andy, you're not going to live to 120. Um, you might do, and that would be great, but it's unlikely that that will happen. <laughs> he walks around, and it's really interesting, isn't it, that, that Moses becomes a shepherd because he would have gone to the best schools He would have had the best education. He'd have had so much invested in him in Pharaoh's palace. And then he has this moment, doesn't he? This difficult moment where he sees an Israelite being beaten up by an Egyptian. And he has this kind of initially righteous anger that bubbles up inside of him. This this difficult anger. I don't want to see that happen. There's nothing wrong with the anger, right? But his response is the problem. And what he does is he kills the Egyptian. And then he tries to cover it up. And then later on, he sees two Israelites fighting each other. And he kind of gets caught out, right? Because he says to them, stop fighting. Stop doing this. Why are you fighting each other? Maybe that's a picture of stuff to come for the Israelites. Why are you fighting each other? And they say, Moses, who are you to tell us what to do? Who are you to be ruler and judge over us? What are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian. And then we know, don't we, that Pharaoh finds out. And Moses has this moment where he flees into the wilderness, into insignificance, to be an ordinary shepherd. 40 years he waits. I wonder if he heard from God in that time. We know at the very least that God taught him so much in that time, 40 years, to prepare him for what God was doing. And then comes the really interesting bit, because he's walking around and he sees this humble bush and he notices that it's on fire. He notices it's on fire. And there's this little throwaway line in there, which, which I love. And I decided to look into it a bit more because I had a bit of time on my hands. And, and it's that line that says, Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And often when we're reading the scriptures, we can miss those moments, can't we? We can miss the subtleties in a short line like that because I wondered, I've I've been asking the question recently, I wonder how long he had to look at the bush in order to realise that it wasn't burning up. I wonder how long he had to stop and look and wait before he noticed that the bush wasn't burning up. Well, I did some research. I know a fireman. Everyone knows a fireman, right? And uh, this fireman, I've changed his name slightly. Um, we'll call him Droopy um, for the purposes of this talk. His actual name is a bit like that, but I can't tell you what it is. But he's given me permission to tell this story. And he, um, his, his daughter goes to the same school as my daughter. Um, they're in the same class. So we often chat in the playground. And just as a side note, we had this really funny moment with him the other day where my wife said to him, um, Droopy, God's got your number. Like, God, God, God's doing something in your life, basically. Like, Droopy... Um, is a fireman. He's moved to a new fire group. What are they called? Like the station or crew? Is it called a crew? He's got a new fire crew. And in his fire crew is a member of the church that we started um, in Hitchin a few years ago. And it gets worse than that. There's this other guy called, called James who's actually moving in, goes to the same church, to the house next door to him. And Alex said to him, God's got you. Like you're, He's bringing you to him. Um, and so what I thought I'd do is, is ask him to help us a little bit with our 
sermon today to think about this idea of fire. And I said to him, um, across the program one day, I said, Drew P, I've got a question for you. I've got to do this talk about the burning bush and it's all about fire. I wonder if you could help. And he was just like, you know when people look at you blank? I'm kind of feeling that at the moment, guys, actually. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. You, you know those moments where... And, uh, if you were picking a Bible story to kind of introduce people to the Christian faith, you probably wouldn't pick the burning bush. You might go for the prodigal son or one of the famous ones. But, but anyway, I said to Drew P, I was like, look, basically, in the Old Testament, the first bit, it does get a bit violent if you read it, but it's really good stuff. Like, um, there's this story all about this guy called Moses, and there's this bush that's on fire. And the bush is burning, but it's not burning. And he's like, what do you mean? It's like the bush is burning, but it's not burning. It's kind of like there's flames on top of it, but it's not burning up. And I was wondering, how long would he have to be looking at the bush for in order to know that the leaves weren't burning up? Again, he looked at me very blankly. So I explained it again, and he clarified. And then he gave me an answer. And do you know what his answer was to that question? Why were the leaves not burning up? His answer was that it would take quite a long time quite a long time for Moses to notice what God was doing, for Moses to notice God speaking. And I looked into it a bit more because I was kind of interested and I read some commentaries on the passage and I looked at other like um, fire, fireman threads on the internet. It got a bit dark at points, to be honest. Um, and, and people reckon roughly that Moses needed to look at that bush for between 10 and 15 minutes to notice that it wasn't burning up. Are you tracking me? Do you get what I'm saying? If we want to see God move, and when we're trying to notice what God is doing in our lives, in the community of this church, in the lives of that wonderful couple, in, in our own ministries, in our own walk with God, we have to wait long enough. We have to stop and look long enough to notice the divine to notice what God is doing, to hear the Lord speaking. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when God does speak, Moses removes his sandals because he knows that he's on holy ground. He can't take anything from his old life into this new life. No dust, no, no brokenness, no dirt into his new life. God speaks and he is on holy ground. And I just wonder for a few moments, like, what was he thinking about in that 15 minutes? Because I don't know about you, when I'm sat in my kitchen looking at my dead trees, trying to pray and trying to engage with God, like, I get distracted. Can anyone else relate to that? I know, like, some of the stuff that distracts me, honestly, is like just spending hours and hours on right move, um, seeing if I can buy a slightly bigger house in a slightly better school catchment area, um, or, or going on Auto Trader to see if I can afford a Tesla, or, or, or just death scrolling on TikTok, watching videos on how to like, flip cars and sell watches and all of that stuff. Like, we get distracted, don't we? And I wonder if that happened for Moses. He wasn't trying to buy a Tesla, obviously, but I wonder what went through his mind in that moment when he was suspicious when he saw that bush in the distance, when he saw that bush that was on fire but not burning up, I wonder what distractions were before him. I wonder what God was saying in that moment. But I also wonder what else was trying to distract him from that. Maybe he went back to that time he murdered someone. 
Maybe as he tried to discern what God was doing, when he tried to look at what God was doing, when he tried to hear the voice of God, he thought, I'm inadequate. I don't get to do this. I ran away from that life. I don't get to be a part of what God's doing. I don't get to see it. Maybe he doubted. Maybe he experienced spiritual attack. And I, I, don't, I didn't want to like, get too into this today, but um, I was having a conversation with Jeannie um, a little while ago. Jeannie, give us a wave. Jeannie's a very wise woman. And I'd been going through some stuff personally, maybe like a month ago. And often when we start something new, when we move into a new season, when we're doing something for the kingdom, when we're making an advance in the kingdom, often the devil wants to disrupt that. He wants to distract us in that place. And I'd noticed a few things were going on like in my life, like we were, we were starting this year out for young adults, which um, Ellie and Nuno are part of, that the diocese is running, called the Auburn Way. And in that week that led up to it, I remember um, my daughter getting really sick. One of our team, um, an hour before we were due to have the first meeting of that group, um, sadly, like, their, their dog passed away. They, they, they had, to, had to go through that, and someone else in our team had some real challenges. Often when we make an advance for the kingdom, often as we step out, that's when the attack comes. And I was chatting to Jeannie about it, and I said, Jeannie, it's really hard, isn't it? Like, I'm trying to discern what God's doing because I've been under attack a bit recently. And she, she helpfully said in a very gentle way that Jeannie does that I'm, I'm always surprised when people talk about spiritual attack. I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, it's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> what do you mean? It says throughout Scripture that we're going to face that. It says throughout Scripture that this is going to happen. If you're messing around and not living in God's purposes, then the devil's going to leave you alone. But when you advance, when you step out into what God might be calling you to, you're going to get attack. It's going to happen. And I found that really helpful and I'm grateful to Jeannie for bringing that to my attention. And often when you frame things like that, when you view things like that, it changes your focus, it changes your perspective. In a sense, it's a compliment, right? If you're facing that stuff, if you're facing difficulty, maybe, just maybe, God is working. Maybe, just maybe, some survivor, God is doing something. And I love what Andy just said about the fruit, that greater things are to come for this church. And I believe that. I absolutely believe that. And that's what we see in the life of Moses, right? He lives in a royal palace. He has this 40 years of kind of an interesting life. Then he goes into the wilderness for a period, 10 sheep. And then God uses him powerfully to set the Israelites free. And by the way, when he does that, it's not easy. Throughout Exodus, the Israelites are moaning all the time. We had a better life when we were slaves. Like, it was so much easier. Can we just go back to Pharaoh? It was much easier being slaves. This isn't an easy path that you're going on, soul survivor. This isn't an easy path as a church, but I believe God's in it. And I believe he's going to bring fruit. We're going to pray in a few moments. But before we do that, I just want us to remember the second part of that passage. Because... As Moses stands there before the burning bush, he has the faith to wait long enough to hear what God's saying and then God speaks to him on that holy ground. And he says, God, what do I do when I face this opposition? 
What do I do when I'm faced with these difficulties? What do I do when I stand before Pharaoh and I've got no energy and nothing left and I don't believe in myself? What do I do when my very own people, the Israelites, are going to say, it was so much better when we were with the Egyptians? And you know what God says? He says, tell them, tell him that I am has sent you. Tell him that I am has sent you. I am who I am. Another translation, I will be what I will be. God is in control. God is on the throne. Jesus says in the New Testament, before Abraham, I am. Whatever you face, however difficult it is, and sometimes even the very things that you think are bringing you joy are destructive. I am is on the throne. Whatever you face, however difficult it is, I am is on the throne. Jesus is in control. God is in control. He's gone before you and he is enough. And so as we finish and as we pray, I want to finish with a final verse that comes later on in Moses' life. At that very moment when he's about to do that bit that we love from the movie where he parts, well God, sorry, not Moses, (laughs) where God parts the seas. And This is kind of like that Kairos moment, that big moment. Can you imagine what that was like? Moses had seen God do so many amazing things. And yet I wonder as he stood before whether there was just that little bit of doubt again. And as he does that, this is what God says. Why don't we stand as I read this over us and then we're going to go into communion and have some time for, for, for ministry. Soul Survivor, as you move into this new season, Andy and Beth, as you move in to your new season and the team here as you lead in this new season, if I could say one thing to you, I'd want you to remember this. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then this bit. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. And all you have to do is be silent.